One of the problems that a pastor has when he's uh, been someplace for a long time is figuring out what to preach for Christmas. That, maybe that's why some guys move around so much. Um, I, I actually doubt it, but I got one good laugh. Good. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> Checks in the mail. All right. Uh, so this past year, I've been reading through the works of John Newton, and one of the things in Volume 3 is a series of sermons uh, from the Messiah, oh, where Newton takes the texts in order uh, that Handel used them, and then he preached uh, sermons on them. And so I decided, why don't I do that? And so here we are. Isaiah 7. Now, one of the problems with Handel's Messiah, I don't mean to make it sound like I don't like Handel's Messiah, I'm just mentioning that this is just a verse plucked from a chapter. And a verse plucked from a chapter is not incredibly helpful, <laughs> my estimation anyway. So we're going to look at the surrounding context. Uh, and for that, I'm going to read the chapter. In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of, of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up against Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask for a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. But before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your father, uh, upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the pasture bushes and on all the pastures. We'll stop there. There's enough for now. Ralph. I love Ralph. And Ralph really wanted a Daisy Red Rider carbine action air rifle with a compass in the stock. He was, dare I say, obsessed with getting that Red Rider carbine BB gun. In fact, when his teacher demanded that they all write a theme about what they wanted for Christmas, it was for the first time in his life he was excited to write a theme because he could write of the glories of the rifle that he longed for with all his heart. And when he came across an ad for that very same red, Daisy Red Rider carbine action rifle in a magazine, he made sure that he slid it in his mother's look magazine so that she could find it and know the desire of her son's heart. Not only that, but when he went to see the store Santa, though he forgot what he wanted in the shock of the moment of being upon Santa's lap, he crawled back up the slide so that he could tell the store Santa that he wanted the Daisy Red Rider carbine action rifle with the compass and the stock before it was too late. Ralphie wanted this very badly. We're about to look at someone else in Scripture here this, this evening. I keep forgetting it's not morning. Uh, that really wants something badly. Ahaz. So what does King Ahaz really want? Well, you see, Ahaz has a problem. He's got two neighbors to the north. One is the brothers, Ephraim, and the other is the not-so-nice people, Syria. And what has happened is that Ephraim and Syria have decided that they don't want to come under the authority of Assyria, the big bad boy on the block, the empire that was spreading, the empire that was predatory in nature. They decided they wanted to join forces to somehow repel the encroachment of Assyria. But they knew that they did not have enough power themselves. And so they called upon Judah, thinking, brothers of Ephraim, right? Come, join us in this alliance. Ahaz was smart enough to know that you really didn't want to make Assyria angry. 
And now they've turned the tables, so to speak. They've turned that alliance's gaze away from Assyria for the moment to place it upon Judah. Their intention is to defeat Judah, replace Ahaz with another king who is amenable to their plan, so that then the three kingdoms can rise up together to try to thwart the advances of Assyria. What's a king to do? Children, if you were the king of Judah, what would you do? No, you're not sure. Neither was he. The inclination should be to call out to the Lord your God. You are, in fact, the people of the covenant. That should be his first response. But unfortunately, it wasn't. It doesn't make any sense because his crown is at risk. Not only is his crown at risk, but in fact, the dynasty of David is at risk. We have this great thread that runs through scriptures. The idea of the seed that begins in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman that is going to crush the head of the serpent. And then, they're not sure where, which seed of a woman that's going to be. And so God narrows it down in his promise to Abraham and Genesis 12. Of all the families of the earth, it's going to be from Abraham's family that that woman, the seed of the woman will come to crush the serpent. And then Isaac, but Isaac has two sons. It's going to be Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. The promise is that it will arise from Judah. From whom in Judah? God makes a covenant in 2 Samuel 7 that it will arise from David. David's son. One of David's sons is going to be the seed that stomps on the head of the serpent. And now that dynasty is at risk. God's promise all the way back to the Garden of Eden is now at risk. Ahaz does not want to trust God to save Judah. Ahaz intends to rely upon his own plan, upon his own wisdom, upon his own desires, which are, let's send some money to Assyria and let Assyria beat up on Ephraim and Syria. This problem is not limited to Ahaz. But we see unbelief is something that refuses to ask God to save, but rather seeks salvation or deliverance in our own way, according to our own plans. In part because then we get credit. Even if we don't do it, if Assyria does it, it was our plan. right? I'm the one who sent the money to Assyria. Let all the people of Judah thank me, King Ahaz. Unbelief rejects the promise that God consistently gave to his people through all of the covenants 
that you will be my people and I will be your God. We see it, Genesis 17.7, Exodus 6.7, Leviticus 26.12, Jeremiah 30.22, as well as chapter 31, verses 33 and 38, Ezekiel chapter 11.20, 36.28, and 37.23, and that is not an exhaustive list. That drumbeat that goes throughout the entire Old Testament, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And the problem here is, Ahaz doesn't care if Yahweh is his God, and whether or not he is part of Yahweh's people. He places no value on that. But connected to that is the covenant presence of God. And we see this in places like Leviticus 26 in Ezekiel 37. In Leviticus 26, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you will be. My people. Ezekiel 37. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so the presence of God is connected with the people of God. God longs to dwell amongst His people. We see the covenant presence revealed For instance, in the angel of the Lord who accompanies the people of Israel through the wilderness. Later, in the tabernacle that they build, that's the place where God dwells amongst His people and then permanently, so to speak, in a temple where God's Spirit dwells. But here's the thing. Ahaz doesn't care if God dwells with His people for their own good, He places no value on that promise. And that's what unbelief does. And so unbelief rests in our own schemes and not in the promise of God. Well, how did God respond to King Ahaz's unbelief? Well, the first thing he did is that he sent his prophet Isaiah and his son, who will be named later, to see Ahaz while Ahaz is inspecting the water supply. He's getting ready for the siege. He's making sure that the water supply is going to get from point A to point B through the conduits. So in that sense, he's being a wise king. He had some worldly wisdom about him. He wasn't a total fool, although he was a fool. One last time, God promises to protect his people from what he calls those two smoldering stumps. Not raging fires, smoldering stumps. God is belittling the wrath of Ephraim and Syria. He offers a sign to Ahaz. He says, you pick. Tell me what you want to see happen to prove to you that this promise uh, that they will be defeated and they will actually be deserted 
is going to come true. Since you don't believe me, pick a sign, any sign, don't care. Ahaz ends up cloaking his unbelief in piety. He knows enough of the scriptures to know that one is not supposed to test God. And so he says, well, I don't want to test God. You're not testing God when God tests you. <laughs> and I love not just the irony of this, but the irony that is displayed in, in Isaiah's response. Is, is it not enough that you weary men? That you must also weary God? So, Isaiah, or God through Isaiah, gives Ahaz a sign anyway. But this sign is not necessarily a sign of his deliverance, but really of God's discipline. But here is the crux of the whole thing. Behold, or look, a virgin shall conceive... And bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Meaning, God with us. That God is going to be with his people. Is what this child's name shall mean. Now, it seems directly tied to the circumstances uh, as, as, God, as he kind of lays this out. You know, before this child is, is having honey and curds, you're going to be freed from the wrath of these two smoldering stumps. And so it is tempting to look for a fulfillment in the life of Isaiah and in the text of Isaiah. People try to do this all the time, but I believe it's an exercise in, in missing the point that many of them will turn to chapter 8 and they will see in verse 3, And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Meher Shalal Hash Baz. Now, children, sometimes you don't like the names that your parents give you. It is on those moments, those occasions, that you need to recall and be thankful that your name is not Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Okay? It's a mouthful, but it also means the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. Not a good Try matching that up with Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel is a name of blessing. Maher Shalal Hashbaz is a curse. Not only that, but most likely the prophetess is also the mother of the other child of Isaiah that we saw at the very beginning. Remember when he shows up at the conduit, he's supposed to bring his son, his son, Shair Jashub. Not much of an improvement over the other name, especially when you realize that it means 
make sure I get this right. Uh, the remnant remains. That's not what you want to hear when you're the king, that only a remnant will remain. So it's not anything to do with Isaiah himself, and it doesn't have anything to do with what we find in chapter 8. It's something else. But here's the point. God tells him that if you, Ahaz, want Assyria so badly, you'll get Assyria. Assyria may help you in the short run, but Assyria is going to devastate you in the long run. God is going to bring Assyria down to his doorstep in judgment. Let's think back about to Ralph for a moment. When his teacher gave him his theme back, all of his hopes were dashed when she wrote in the bottom, you'll shoot your eye out. And then his mom at some point made this comment to him, you'll shoot your eye out. In his dreams, he heard them saying, yeah, I'll shoot your eye out, you'll shoot your eye out. And in fact, as he was clinging to the top of the slide, spitting out his desires to the store Santa, here comes the foot to push him down, and the words, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. You may get what you want, but it's not going to give you what you want. It's going to be a curse to you. That is what God is saying to Ahaz. Dale Ralph Davis, in commenting on this, notes, the king whose name God is with us will only come after Ahaz has brought ruin on the nation. We see another picture of this, uh, this judgment that comes, the, the, the curds and the honey that this child is going to eat. Uh, well, you know, this reminds us that curds and honey are basically the only food that's left in a nation that is laid waste by Assyria. It's not a picture of a great, awesome meal. It's meant to be a picture of God's judgment. Because that's all they had to eat. What they found in the wilderness and the beehives and what goes bad from the goats that they keep. And so unbelief forsakes the promises of God's blessing. Are we having a problem with my mic? I don't know. Sounded like something changed. Oh well. Unbelief forsakes the blessing, uh, the promises of God's blessing. And so, how is this sign, this promise that is given, fulfilled? And that is a really good question. And for that, we have to fast forward 730 years approximately to Israel. Israel, which has been repeatedly defeated and occupied. Assyria was not the last person to beat them up and carry them off. Here came Babylon later on, beat them up and carried them off. And they came back, well, you know, the Persians and the Medes, they, they, 
they were okay at times, but you know, they were still an occupying force. Then you have the Greeks coming in, oppressing the people of Israel. Then, of course, you have the Romans, and that's where we find everything here. The Romans are occupying and oppressing the people of Israel. There is no son of David in sight. The the Davidic dynasty seems, upon appearance, to be dead and has been for almost six centuries. Think about that for a second. Six centuries. The 1400s. That's a long time. The only people here were Native Americans. A lot of change happens in 600 years. And that's how long, however, that Israel was without a son of David on the throne. We meet another man. This man has a problem too. His name is Joseph. Joseph is called a righteous or just man. Joseph loves God, but Joseph has a problem. His betrothed is pregnant, and the baby isn't his. He knows this because they've probably barely seen each other and never been alone. He's assuming that there's another man involved. He's not sure how, he's not sure when, but there's another man involved. Like Ahaz, Joseph has a plan. Joseph is going to divorce her. Okay. Betrothal or engagement was far more binding then than it is now. Um, but because he was a just man, and, and in this case this also means a kind man, he's going to do it quietly so that she is not punished for adultery. He's not angry with her. He doesn't want to destroy her, but he thinks he can't trust her. And then he goes to sleep before he executes his plan. And as he sleeps, he has a dream. And in this dream, God sends a messenger or angel to him and reveals that this unwanted child is actually a fulfillment of Isaiah's sign. Mary is indeed a virgin. She has never been with a man. And yet, she has a child. And the messenger communicates to him that this child has been conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit. This is a holy child. You should not treat it as an unholy child, as an unwanted child, as an undesired child. This is a special child. The child that Joseph didn't want was in fact the Son of God conceived by the Spirit of God. That means a lot. It means that he is the seed of the woman who has come to crush the head of the serpent. 
It means that He is the seed of Abraham who has come to be a blessing to the nations. It means He is the seed or the son of David who's going to sit upon the throne that has been empty for oh so long. The unwanted child is God with us precisely because He saves us from sin and unbelief. Let's go back to Ralphie. Ralphie gets the joy of his heart. He goes out in his PJs to shoot his air rifle on Christmas morning. He's so excited, and you can see that danger is is about to hit because he puts up a metal sign as a target. Warning, Will Robinson. Warning. It's called Ricochet. And sure enough, he fires his rifle, and poof, here comes in the pellet, but thankfully he's wearing his glasses. But it knocks his glasses off, and he can't see, and, you know, instead of feeling around for his glasses on the ground, he's crawling on the ground, and of course, the next thing you hear is crunch. Now, one of the things that happens throughout this movie is that he gets in trouble because he keeps breaking his glasses. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. He's anticipating, uh, one, he's going to bear the shame of having almost shot his eye out, like his mother said, and two, having broken his glasses yet again, requiring Dad to spend more money that he doesn't have because he spent all of this money on the Daisy Red Rider carbine action rifle with the compass in the stock. And Ralphie concocts, like so many of us, a lie. There was an icicle, and it came down and miraculously hit Side was like the, the magic loogie in Seinfeld. It hit my glasses and broke them. And He seeks to avoid wrath by a lie. This Jesus comes to bear the wrath for our sin, for our lies, for our cheating, for all of them. He comes to fulfill all of these promises. Uh, For instance, this unwanted child would die so that God can be our God and that we can be His people forever. 1 Peter 2, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Not only that, but this unwanted child is God in the flesh, tabernacling with His people forever, as John says in the first chapter of his Gospel. But it's not just that. It's not just Jesus tabernacling with His people during His earthly ministry, but in Revelation 21, we have this picture of the fact that God dwells with His people forever, and it's only purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ the babe that came of the virgin. And so all of these great covenant promises are laid upon the shoulders of Jesus and He fulfills them. The child that Joseph doesn't want 
is the child that Joseph needs above everything else. And it is by faith. They should include Joseph in the chapter of faith in, in Hebrews 11. He's an awesome dude. By faith, Joseph took this child as his own son and raised him, but saw him as God's promises fulfilled. John Newton in his sermon on this text, says, Messiah is Emmanuel, God with us, on our side, no longer the avenger of sin, but the author of salvation. And so Joseph doesn't just receive this child as his son, he's receiving his own salvation through this son. And God calls us all to look upon that child that Jesus as our only hope. Not one of many. To lay aside our schemes, to lay aside our lies, to lay aside our excuses, and to say the only hope I have is Jesus, the Son of the Virgin, who came to be the sin-bearer and the skull-crusher for me. And so this promise, this sign is fulfilled in the fact that Jesus is God with us. He's not just a sign that God is with us. He's God who's with us. Well, Ralphie really wanted that Daisy Red Ryder carbine action air rifle with the compass and the stock. And when he got what he wanted, we saw that he was nearly his undoing. The best laid schemes of mice and men are dangerous. Yet at times we see that God allows us to have them so that we can get a taste of just how much we need a Savior. Ahaz's unbelief would not only ruin his life, but the life of Judah for hundreds of years. But our God is a God of promise. Our God is a promise-keeping God. And against all odds, and with no hope in sight, there was a virgin, Mary, who by the power of the Holy Spirit was bore a baby who embodied all of God's promises. This Jesus was born to make us His people. This Jesus was born to bring us into the presence of God forever and ever. This Jesus, born to deliver you from the mess that you make of your life precisely because God is merciful. Let's pray. Father, as we celebrate Christmas, let's not forget the reason that we we're in need of a Savior. Uh, that we were full of unbelief and we were full of sin and we were going our own way and it was a way of destruction. We were like sheep who've lost their way. And we thank you for sending the Son of Mary to rescue us, to deliver us, to bear our sin for us. And so help us to trust Him.
to entrust ourselves to Him. When we fail again tonight or tomorrow or the next day, actually all three, help us to keep looking to Jesus. To remember that He's the only hope I have in this world. There is no other. And to rejoice that He is that He has borne that sin, that He brings us into Your kingdom, into Your presence, to be part of Your people forever. And so, Father, in the midst of the things that we find hard, help us to remember Jesus makes us His people. Jesus brings us close. It's a great day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.